Welcome to episode 737 of I Am Talk, your weekly fix in all things Iron Man. Radio team, welcome along to episode 737 of I Am Talk with Coach John Newsom, Bevan James Oz. How you going, mate? I'm pretty good, Bevan. Springs in the air. John had cold fingers this morning. I did. My middle fingers, I was having to give him. He was giving me the, the finger, give me the bird. The double whammy. The double bird. That's right. But no, it's why, a why, day. why the cold hands? It's a cold morning out there. It's not that bad. Somebody had to bike up here. Somebody soft. moved houses several years ago. I'm good for your fitness. And made my life inconvenient. I'm very good for your fitness. You've gone from a 20-second bike ride to a good 10. How long does it take to get here? 15 minutes. Yeah, the hill. Yeah. I get dialed, guys. I'm Talk is proudly brought to you by... What bike? The most realistic and effective smart trainer, not just on the earth, in this universe, John. You've got on universe. Yeah, well, because I don't reckon in Mars there's any smart trainers. True. Yep, so there, there you go. Uh, and also our amazing patrons. Like Ryan Big Red Curvin. Oh, and then Michelle Kirvin as well, right. ATM, which is the awesome triathlon mum. And John Tipping Point Ennis. Good stuff, guys. And this week's show, we've got some news. We've got a hot topic of the week. We've got a great interview with a legendary athlete. Dylan McNeese. We're talking a bit about his career, but also he's very heavily involved with uh, the PTO, the Professional Triathletes Organisation, and answers some of the, the questions we've been having over the last few weeks as in terms of their sort of long-term game plan. Uh, Winger of the Week questions and answers at the end. John, we had a race over the weekend, the Beer Lake Brawl, and it sounds like a brawl with the weather. It sounded like a big brawl with the weather. Uh, I saw a little YouTube clip with Sam Long, who won the event, and the swim apparently got delayed by about 30 minutes when the storm came through, (laughs) and then they modified the swim and made it a sort of multi-lap thing where you had to sort of wade through the water and do some duck diving. Do you know what? I love those kind of days. Yeah. After the fact. And he, he had this clip. And he showed the race venue. It just looked like you were in the sticks in the middle of nowhere, just old school racing. And then apparently they got a big weather bomb on the bike and Ugh. guys were and, and girls were just freezing. Uh, and it was really was a case of survival. So this was an event that was supported by the PTO. Um, and as you're going to hear later in the show, you know, making sure that there's some money for, for, for pros just to keep them alive in the sport I uh, haven't got any splits just finished time Sam Long took it out uh, talks a big game Sam Long uh, how good is he well he's beating some quality opposition here uh, so he won four minutes in front of um, Matt Hansen and Justin Metzler who we had on the show fairly recently and Chris Lefferman in fourth place Ben Canute uh, really good ITU athlete and sort of middle course athlete uh, he was I saw a picture of him he had a uh, you know a hypothermia blanket around him and he was freezing his tits off he was down in sixth place so they did assemble you know a good little quality field there on the female side Danielle uh, Dingman took it out by just over a minute in front of Sky Munch and Holly Benner. So, yeah, good to have a good to have a race happening in the US of A. Well, you found a race that was happening in Germany as well, John. Oh, and the other thing I would say about this, and so, uh, yeah, I watched this little clip about, about Sam Long, and he's he's a pretty colourful character. And I was thinking, if you in what way, he's just quite a cocky bugger. Cock, yeah, cocky, and, and he calls himself the big. I think he calls himself the big rig or the big unit. Oh, uh, the old third person. Yeah. <laughs> I was the big rig. And I think, and, and he's had a bit of smackdown with Lionel Sanders in terms of oh, really? both of them going for Strava segments. Um, and I think on Mount Lemon. So I was thinking, if you got Sanders, 
Joe Skipper and uh, Sam Long together, we could have some fairly entertaining footage. It would be very, very entertaining. Okay, so you found another race that was happening in Germany. There was, uh, and this was another PTO-supported event. Uh, it was called the Pushing Limits race, and you did have some long-course athletes racing, um, but it was an interesting one because uh, it was it was Olympic distance. In the pool. In the pool. Had three athletes per, per lane, and I thought it was a bit harsh. They had a para-athlete that started with all the, pro, the pros, oh. uh, but he looked like he was gunning it. And they, and they obviously took off at the start of the swim, uh, pretty bloody fast. And in that race, we had Gustav Eden taking out the males race and Lisa Norden taking out the females. Peter Hemrick was in second and Frederick Fronk was in third, so pretty good field. And Lisa Norden beat out Imogene Simons and Lucy Hall. Okay, so one of the races, well, coming up this weekend, we've got some more races that are being supported by the PTO in the Spanish Middle Distance Championships. Uh, the Outlaw uh, also is getting 15,000 euro from the PTO. So, And we do talk to Dylan about this later on in the show. And ultimately, they're saying they just don't want the pros to disappear. Mm. And so they want to be putting some money out there to help the pros earn, you know, it's not really huge money, but earn a little bit to Survive. get through this crazy time that we're living in. So the Outlaw and the Spanish Middle Distance races are getting supported this week. And the Outlaw's a big race for, for the UK, so I'll be intrigued to see how that sort of pans out. Um, there has been you know, several races in the UK now, um, mainly for age groupers, not necessarily for the pros. We, we did have Hal Vallon, um, so good luck to them. Zwift, there's been Zwift plans to offer its own hardware. This is not really new news. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that, but uh, they've got a $450 million investment that's come in to their company from a firm called KKR, which now gives them a valuation of over $1 billion. You've got to think of the companies that did well out of COVID, or still do well out of COVID, uh, Zwift is going to be in the triathlon world right up there. This could be the biggest winner, isn't it? Oh. Out of COVID, who's done well? Well, apparently bikes, just in general, um, bike stores are doing fantastically well. Um, you know what? Fitness has done well. Like Even if I just think mm. of my little business as, a, as an example, mm. we're up probably 30% year on year. Mm. Uh, since COVID yeah. um, and even at the gym the gym's really like fitness in general because I think what happened in COVID now we're a bit different we're, we're saying that the wrong person because we're in New Zealand we're in New Zealand and yeah. we know the rest of the world get it but I think one thing is people when they were locked in lockdown realized, got back to movement mm. and a lot of people who weren't moving even just going for walks and stuff mm-hmm. and now it's like oh geez actually it's quite good to kind of you know get out there and get moving so it's, it's fingers crossed this is a good thing for the fitness industry. And this, uh, in our fitness, fitness industry, coming up this weekend, um, we've got our first Ironman since uh, everybody's had lockdown. And I was thinking when I was biking around here, I think this will only be, and I could be wrong here, the second or third Ironman of the year, because we had Ironman New Zealand in March, and I think we would have had uh, probably the Israel, Israel Man, that's usually in sort of January period. don't know if there was any other iron distance races, so I think this might be the sort of second or third iron distance race of the year. No surprises here, John. All Australian athletes except for one in the males field. <laughs> yeah, and he's probably Scott, Australian based, Australian based South African. Uh, and up until this morning, Torsten's come to the rescue here because there is no coverage of this race anywhere. Uh, it's Ironman Kens, which is the um, Asia Pacific Championships. Uh, oh, too, yeah. And and I was looking. I've been. Is it the same up, prize money? No, it's not. Uh, it's, I think it's 40,000 US. Um, I was looking, looking, looking. Couldn't find any information in terms of pros that are racing or anything like that. Uh, I did find that Tim Reed and Tim Burkle, who are the two top seeds, they've actually travelled to the race 
I'm not sure where they're based. I think they're in New South Wales, uh, and they had to go into you know 14 day quarantine. So oh, really? Just to go across the border in the states, uh, not yeah, in the states right. in Australia, you have to go into quarantine. So they've done that to be there. So obviously it means quite a bit to them, and you would assume they're going to be in reasonable shape if they're going to go to that lengths where you're going to yeah go into isolation for for two weeks. So it's quite a cool little field, quite different when you've got um, Tim Burkle, Tim Reed, and Josh Amberger, three reasonably different athletes uh, then you've also got you know a bunch of other Queensland based athletes like Damien Collins then on the female side you've got Sarah Crowley who's expected to dominate the dojo uh, in front of Beth McKenzie and Else El- Visser I did note that Beth McKenzie ran a 119 in uh, the Sunshine Coast 70.3 so if she's anywhere within Kui uh, of the weight leader she's predicted to run a 258 so that really shows that she is someone who consistently runs sub three hour marathons so um, great to see there'll be some iron distance racing there's also I'm pretty sure there's a 70.3 on the same day um, the other talking point out of this race for the age groupers yeah, this is pretty big eh? 75 slots for Kona for the age groupers and it's not a big field it's not a big field and we, we, we discussed the, the, the field or lack of it last week on the show you it's know, like hundreds isn't it yeah there's not in some age groups there's very few athletes but so this obviously is for Kona 2021 yeah, and I assume that it says on the website there's 75 slots, so I assume there's still going to be 75. And if it is, this is going to be well, I suppose the thing is, so easy to qualify. They have to start giving away slots, don't they? Well, a lot will roll over, and then you're going to, because oh, it's next year, yeah, you're going to have all the same races qualifying again. So I think they're going to have a, a capacity issue. Um, but I guess at the same time, if a lot of countries can't travel, then you probably want maybe more people qualifying and. Um, I don't know. I just, yeah. One good. thing, hey, if you qualify, you can guarantee one thing. The race is happening because John said it is. It is. It very much whether, is. Whether you can get there is another thing, but the race will be happening next October. Okay, we've also got the Cozumel 70.3 happening this weekend. Uh, any any people of note there, John? Well, I, and I also, Torsten's come to the rescue here. No, this, actually... Ironman had, did have the Cozumel start list on their website and I did note that I think Sam Long who won the Bear Lake Bull yeah, he is, said yeah. he was going down to, to race there. Uh, so yeah, here you have got quite a you know, American, um, North and South American field. So you've got Michael Weiss, um, Mauricio Mendez from Mexico, Jackson Laundry, who he won that Canadian sort of um, PTO supported event the other day Matt Hansen um, Sam Long Taylor Reid um, but a pretty decent sized field whether or not they can all make it there is another thing but they've got 20 about 25 athletes on the start list uh, and then on the female side you've got Holly Lawrence so I assume yeah. she must be um, American based at the moment Kelsey Wilthrow in there uh, and you've got around about sort of 15 to 20 female athletes and I don't know if I mentioned in Ironman Cairns, um, I think I mentioned Sarah Crowley was racing, you'd expect her to dominate, but one to watch out for is Amelia Watkinson, who won 70.3 yeah. um, last weekend, uh, but I think she's only done a Which couple of Ironmans, she's only done one Ironman race, sorry, uh, 70.3 in Cairns, uh, no, in Sunshine Coast. Oh, so she's based in Australia. Yes, so she could be, she's only done one Iron Distance race, uh, I think, and... 
she could be somebody that could challenge Sarah Crowley. She beat her at 70.3 last weekend. Ironman's a different story. Okay, on November the 2020, uh, November the 15th, Challenge Taiwan is taking place. And this is pretty cool news, actually, because it's the, the full in the middle distance event is taking place in the beautiful city of, I'm going to say, Taijiang. Um, with over 4,000 participants, the event is one of the biggest ongoing events this year. In times of the pandemic, Taiwan is basically the best in the world, isn't it? Right up there. Yeah, in regards to looking after the pandemic. Uh, together with local authorities, the team in Taiwan has taken lots of measurements to make sure that the event can happen. It's just, how cool <clears throat> to have it somewhere in the world right now, a 4,000 participant race. Yeah, so it looks like it's going to be happening November the 15th, so good luck for any Taiwanese listeners. Again, I don't think many people will be able to travel, but I know that the that the race is always really popular, and if they've just got you know um, Taiwanese nationals, then it uh, should be all go, so... Good news. It's absolutely awesome. John, we had the ITU update. What's, what's happening in the ITU world? Not too much this week, Bevan. Just a couple of things. Uh, they had the French Championships. Leo Bergier and Leonie Perio took that out. Uh, so the Frenchies, we've got plenty of racing happening over there. Uh, and then locally uh, in Christchurch, Hayden Wilde is in town for the weekend. He was, he's been doing a bit of a road trip around the South Island and he won a little 10k race, Governor's Bay Littleton, that I've done a few times before and absolutely spanked it uh, and beat some good quality Did local runners. Did you the message from Melina? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's spanking it. There's a, it was like 28 minutes, wasn't it? Yeah, it's it's a funny old course because it's... Um, but he beat the record by like two minutes, didn't he? Yeah, probably, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's a really hilly 10K, and it is 10K, and you think, God, how can I run fast in this race? But I've run it a few times, and if you get good conditions, you can run well, and it is net downhill. You probably start at maybe... I don't know, maybe 50 metres elevation and you finish at sea level, so you've got a little bit of a descent, um, but you've got to spank the downhills to do a good time. And he beat some good local runners. He won our New Zealand cross-country champs uh, a couple of weeks ago, and he didn't just win it, he dominated it. So, My mate Scotty from the gym won the first leg. The down, the down dies past road leg. Oh. I know, and he won the leg, and he's a, he's a big stocky mm. pump instructor. Not not huge, but you know, compared to runners. Uh, and he oh, said, you're talking Taki Akarai re- relay. Yeah, right. oh, no, it's a different race, is it? Yeah, different race. Oh, okay. But, but he won the leg first. So tell people about the first leg. You have uh, three to four k's of. Do they run uphill. on the road or do they go Harriel? On the road. Um, and it's three to four k's uphill, which probably four percent at most, probably three to four yeah. percent, and then you have probably how long is that descent? Probably two kilometres at least. Two and a half, three, I reckon. Yeah, yeah. of negative 10 percent plus. And you need like a k to the finish line. Yeah, now you've actually got another little climb to do when you get to the bottom. So you've busted your legs, and then you've got to climb over Governors Bay and then go down the next down. And he won the first leg. I was pretty proud of him. And he said, because I went to his pump class the next day, and he was making all these excuses oh. up. He was like, Team, I'm going light today. And I thought, No one really got what he went through, but it was mm-hmm. a pretty good effort. But Hayden Wild, I'm so excited. Yeah. You know, it's just good to have a young Kiwi guy who potentially could be a, a world class athlete. And he's already shown that he can be. It's just whether he can be the best. Like he's been top three and been right amongst it, yeah. but can he be the best? We're, we're excited. He's got to deal with people like Alex Yee, who is a faster runner than him, but he's uh, certainly showing he's got the ah, credentials. He's got it on Yee. Yeah. Yee. <laughs> Nothing. Okay, guys, uh, last week's discussion was what has been your endurance highlights for 2020 so far? Because let's be honest, 
there can't be many out there. So we're trying to we're trying to dig deep for the endurance highlights for 2020 so far. John, you go first. And yeah, and and that's I did specify endurance sports because we haven't had that many uh, triathlons. John Weir said I really enjoyed the indoor Super League triathlon. The shorter distances looked brutal. I agree, John. That was pretty awesome. Yep, John. I'm still cried. Rosanowski's just being nasty. Brunel getting destroyed in the tour. I don't like seeing people fail, except I did take some satisfaction from that as well because he wasn't on my team and he was on Thomas's team. Um, so tell me about it because I only saw it on the news after the fact. Tell me about that last day. Oh, uh, so Brunel was out before then, so oh, okay. he, he was he was out of that game. He was that, that, that last day, the guy had a 40, 51 second lead. Was yeah, it? yeah. So the guy that ended up winning At- the Tour de France won the Tour de France. It wasn't like the other guy lost it. He still had a reasonable day, but the guy that won, it would be like, and I was trying to think, because I knew you'd ask me this. Cause, hey, because I always do. I think it would be like someone like Alex Yee going and winning Hawaii oh, really? next year. Was it that significant? Yeah, well, the guy's 21, and like cycling, when you're doing Tour de France, it takes it's a while endurance. to mature. It's yeah. like Ironman. You normally go to it a little bit later in your career. and So, so wait, going into the final day, the guy had a 51 second lead, and he's a good time trialist. Yeah, he's really good. He didn't perform as well as he probably he could performed, have. You'd give him a mid range beat of a beat, okay, maybe a didn't blitz it, but it wasn't terrible. Yeah. Of all the guys left, who are you thinking? Who can take him? Yeah, only that that guy. That oh, won. that guy was. Yeah, but okay. I, you didn't expect him to he put win like two minutes on him, didn't he? Yeah, you didn't expect him to beat the best time trialers in the world by whatever margin it was. It was yeah, as I said, was it awesome to watch? Um, well, I was out riding myself, and, oh. and I kind of. I had the result and didn't have it spoiled, but I knew something was up from uh. what somebody was saying on the ride. Uh, so you kind of had an inkling that something was going to happen. It was, it was, it will go down as one of the most impressive rides in the history of the sport. It was uh, monumental that he rode that fast. And when you watched it after the fact, was he just, was he just in the zone? Yeah, he was just on fire. And yeah, I mean, he beat guys that were just incredible time trialists, and and he was a deserving winner. So I, I felt felt. Bad for the other guy, um, Roglic, but I didn't feel that he really lost it. Even if he'd run good, even if he'd ridden well, he still wouldn't have beaten. He time. probably wouldn't have beaten it anyway. So it was a really good tour. And of it France. was pretty good sportsmanship, wasn't it? Like, well, they're from the same country, so yeah, yeah, yeah. A young fella, bloody hell, pretty impressive. So okay, next one, uh, Lucy France has got not the best endurance moment, but a great example of what race organisers can do to communicate with competitors pre-race. The Facebook live session to answer all the questions, and this is what the Outlaw Triathlon have been doing recently, so well done to the Outlaw team. Richard Swan was mentioning Hayden Wilde's comprehensive win at the New Zealand Cross Country Champs. Uh, Kylie Cox, uh, the hot chick, she's got uh, seeing triathlon, triathletes like Joe Skipper and Alistair Brownlee take on epic races like these. Um, and the, the, she's got a picture of them climbing some crazy little race. Good old Arnold, the sleek chic Silikov. Uh, Vincent Louis decimating the competition at the ITU World Champs. Uh, Ned Phillips got Mike War, uh, I'm going to say Warden, um, and Redka Bune uh, in quarantine backyard ultra marathon over 400Ks. Bugger that. Yeah. That doesn't, that's just mental. No. Uh, Neil Hastings just posted a picture of Georgia Taylor Brown winning the ITU World Champs as well. Uh, Mohammed, I'm going to say Andarios, has got the Speed Project. What's that? Uh, I'm not even sure, so maybe we could look into that. Was it sub two? No, sub two hours was before lockdown, wasn't it? Well, before, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, any others here, John? That's pretty much it. Um, well, Kylie Cox had seen triathletes like Joe Skipper and Alistair Brownlee take on epic races I did like that one. this. Oh, Mark did? Funky Booster, did you do that one? Watching the men and women attempt to break the one-hour record on the track? 
Didn't see that. No, neither. Are we talking cycling there or, or uh, running? I don't know. <laughs> you didn't give us much detail. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, Mark, sharpen up. Uh, okay, John, what are yours? Um, I would probably say the Super League was, I was just pretty excited to see that and I thought they did a really, really good job of it and I think it's got a really good future um, for us going forward in the sport. So uh, that was probably my highlight um, so far. The Tour de France was pretty good until I dropped the ball and... Oh, so wait a second. So what happened? You kept that on the download, didn't you, Newsome? I was giving Thomas crap because he'd stuffed his up a bit as well and he'd run out of credits and losing riders and I'm rubbing it in a bit. <laughs> yeah, and then you're a bit I, like Sam Long, aren't you? And then I try to get tricky on it and start spicing my own team up because I've thought I've come home strong. Just made a pig's bloody meal of it. And so the, the Thomas beat you? Oh, yeah. I've dropped down like <laughs> I was sitting pretty in second place um, and then dropped down. I think I finished fifth. Completely balls it up. <laughs> so that was the least satisfying thing, the endurance sport moment of since lockdowns. Uh, what would be mine? Uh, that's the Indoor Super League. Mm-hmm. That would be mine. A, there's not much been happening. But B, it's made us... Look at doing something different in sport, you know, and, and that's what COVID has done in many areas. And for a lot of us, while this has been one of the most suckiest times in our life, it's definitely made us sit back and go, okay, what can I do differently? And I can see post-COVID, this format being a big part of the, the calendar. Mm. You know, sure, most of the races are going to be outdoors, but they'll have probably an event like this, maybe a couple of events within their calendar. Would have that happened if we didn't have COVID? Mm. And probably not, not mm. in the way they've done it. And, uh, and I think it's an exciting kind of format that we can see in the future. Mm. So that would be mine, John. Any others to add to yours? No, that's about it. Okay. Oh, no, that, that, actually, one other one. Just seeing the speed of some of the ITU athletes going and doing 5Ks. Um, so we saw the Brit guys going and doing some amazingly yeah. fast times. We saw the Norwegians doing some. We saw Hayden Wild and a few others doing it, and, and, and I'm sure there was others. So kind of cool to be able to, to see that happening. Okay, this week's discussion is how are you going to test yourself between now and Christmas if there's no racing in your part of the world? So basically, what's going to be that motivation, that goal, that challenge that you're going to put in front of yourself before Christmas to keep yourself so you can eat a bit more over Christmas time? Let's be honest, that's the only reason we do these things. Uh, John, we've got a great interview. We have. So here comes uh, Dylan McNeese. Here we go. Here's Dylan. Okay team, um, you will have heard us talk about today's guest uh, quite regularly on the show, um, local fella from Christchurch, local legend, did extremely well on the international stage, uh, multiple winner of challenge races, um, dominating down in Wanaka a few times around over the full distance, winning in Taiwan as well and then uh, lots of podiums around the world, bit of a challenge expert and also the winner of the Fiji International Triathlon in 2014 I noticed, uh, so Dylan McNeese welcome along to the show. Thanks, guys. Uh, thanks for having me, and a great, great view here. So I'll try and uh, remain, you know, focused on the show and not the view. He's in my seat today. Yeah, he's taking the top spot. Um, so lots of, you know, the Kiwis will know you really well, but in terms of the overseas listeners, often they'll see you when you were racing at the front of the front of the pack. Um, and I'm always intrigued in terms of your swimming. How far did you actually go with with your swimming? Because people must think, some, you know. Gomez and things like that, you've heard times spat out about what he could do, but how far did you actually go with your swimming? Um, yeah, I was a, an age group champion, sort of through the ranks. Um, in New Zealand, Australia, that's kind of the big thing as a kid. I'm not sure how it works around the world, but um, so from the age of 13 up to 18, you have individual age groups. And so uh, as a swimmer, I sort of, I think I won, won certain events throughout all those years. Um, but I wouldn't have called myself a world-class age grouper when you compared 
myself to other sort of people around the world. So, um, yeah, I was a good New Zealand swimmer as an age grouper, but I wouldn't have called myself uh, world class. What was your specialty in Nepal? Uh, I was generally a long distance or middle distance freestyler and, and IM swimmer. Um, I didn't train enough really for like the 1500, that, but that probably would have been my event if I'd been able to do those 10 sessions a week that some people do. Yeah. Did, and did you feel like you held your swimming onto your swimming better than maybe others because there's lots of people that transitioned into triathlon that were good swimmers um but you seem to do always be at the front pretty comfortably not smashing yourself and yet i don't know if you did that much swim training like and when you were a triathlete did you just seem to hold on to it better than others you think yeah i think i just actually that that like 4k distance or even the 2k distance or 1.9 3.8 was just what suited me um I didn't necessarily swim much slower over 3.8 than 1.9. That was just for the training I did, which was usually four or five swims a week and probably really only 20K a week um, at the most. Uh, that just seemed to be the pace that I could go. So I think I just got lucky there that that was what suited me. You know, because you've had a very successful triathlon career. You know, a lot of swimmers, some swimmers make it over, but a lot of them don't. How, how, what was the key to making you find the love for triathlon as you jumped out of swimming? Um, what was the key? Uh, I kind of had a bit of downtime and I mean, if you really want to get deep, I always wanted to be an athlete of some sorts and I never really enjoyed swimming. So when the opportunity came up to be, to try triathlon, um, I kind of just jumped at it and I wouldn't say I loved it to begin with. Um, I just had this sort of desire to have a crack at it. So, um, and I wouldn't even say I love it now. I just find it quite a satisfying thing to tick off you know like a race is you do you love a race when you're in pain for four or eight hours I don't I don't know but when you cross that finish line I guess that's why lots of people do it they just it's just such a satisfying feeling that um, it just brings you back because because you were like was correct me if I'm wrong but you weren't even going to stay in triathlon then you won challenge one okay that's kind of the story tell us that story yeah so I raced sort of um overseas in like German teams and done, done the Olympic distance stuff uh, and then also um, you know during that time I was studying at university so doing correspondence and so come the end of 2012 I finished my degree I hadn't really cracked the racing scene I'd tried uh, 2012 I tried the, the non-drafting sort of Olympic distance and a few half Ironmans and I mean I'd I'd went all right but I definitely wasn't going to make a living out of it so I figured well I'd always been in Wanaka during challenged Wanaka time and uh, I figured well if I'm going to do one I may as well do Wanaka and then and then that'll be me <laughs> and then you, you won it didn't you yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> nice <laughs> but how, how much of that tell us about that moment because it's quite a fascinating moment because hey I'm just going to do one because then, then I'm kind of calling it a day and then you win it so talk us through that because it's kind of fascinating yeah I guess during the day um, like I knew I'd probably be first out of the water and I'd have a lead and um, then I'd get caught and that'd be it but uh, the whole day, I just remember almost looking over my shoulder for eight hours or nine hours, however long it was, um, just waiting to be passed. And then, you know, I get to the finish shoot and I'm still in front. And it was just, um, yeah, it was mind-boggling. To be honest, I actually um, went to the toilet on the run, early on the run. So I did actually get passed for a little bit. But yeah. um, naivety, I just ran straight back up to the guys, probably, you know, ran far too fast. And I did feel that pinch at the end but um yeah Wanaka the first one was just 
it took me a long time to believe it sort of it sort of happened because I'd always expected to be beaten. You know, Maka was there, so I just figured this guy will absolutely crush me. So, um, yeah, it was a it was yeah, a pretty pretty lucky moment in my life. And you talked before about getting to that point before that and thinking I'm sort of getting some results, but I'm not making a living out of this. How did you actually make it work, sort of pre Ironman days and then post Ironman days in terms of you know surviving? Um, yes, yeah, so I was lucky to have a, a German team, um, obviously in Germany, and they supported us with like a, a house to live in and usually a vehicle. Um, and then, you know, if you raced well, you, you made some money. They were actually a really good team in that they paid you quite a good base sort of um, base salary to race. And then the bonuses weren't so great. So at least you knew where you're at for the year. Um, as I was studying as well, I was also able to get, um, in, my, in the later years anyway, uh, um, like a, what do they call it, a, a living allowance or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then I coached a few people, so I just kind of pulled it all together. And then, of course, mum and dad were massive help as well when yeah. <laughs> when you needed that little bit extra more. So yeah, uh, yeah. like dad, for example, or mum and dad would pay my, my insurance, which back then was yeah. a good three or three and a half grand. And uh, yeah. so big, big things like that, they were a great help. And what about when you transitioned across the long course when you're more out on your own? And obviously you're getting paychecks in, but you know, you're know you not racing that regularly. Um, did, did you make it work all right? Yeah, I guess when you come from very little to just winning a race like Wanaka, which I think was about 15 grand, um, it seems like a lot of money at the time, but you realise pretty quick <laughs> <laughs> that it's not and it disappears pretty quickly. But I was lucky to... Um, you know, I think going back to Macca, I think beating Macca really helped me to um, get some exposure for that that win and then build a bit of some good sponsorship off that. Uh, so my sponsors, I've had most of them for, you know, most of my most of my career since then. Um, so I've just tried to be loyal and they've been great to me and I've managed to build a bit of a, a I managed to build a bit of a good base to um, to live from. How cool was it, you know, like, because that, that Wanaka moment when you won the race, you talked about as a kid, swimming wasn't necessarily a passion, but you loved the idea of being an athlete. And then you're kind of at the end of that tether and you do Wanaka, you win it, and then it's like, oh, I can be an athlete. Uh, how's that moment, what was that like? And then kind of, what did it, did that open you up to? Yeah, I mean, so I did say to myself, if I win, I'll carry on. Okay. But I, like I said, I never really thought I'd win, so... Um, it was actually a really easy transition because um, I didn't really transition. I just carried on doing yeah. what I did. And to be honest, when I when I finished university, I literally felt that weight lift off my shoulders. Um, the pressure of learning. Yeah, 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 the pressure of trying to get that degree done yeah. and stuff. So um, it all kind of just fell into place with that, that Wanaka win and that Wanaka race. And uh, I guess I was just really happy that I was able to maybe chase this as, as a career. Yeah. Um, and looking back, you know, like I just think how lucky I am to do what I always wanted to do. So yeah, you, you, we've, we've talked about Wanaka a lot, and that's what you kind of we know you f- as because that's sort of the, the local race. But you also won in Taiwan. But winning's not always where you have your best races. So were were your wins your best races, or were, were there others that you know you may have finished fifth, sixth, seventh, but it was the, the best performance you, you ever put out there? Yeah. Um, I think in terms of complete performance and the, the relative ease at how it happened, I think the second win at Wanaka was by far probably the most complete race I've done. I just, well, not not complete, but um, it just felt 
completely comfortable the whole day you know like i finished and i was like wow this isn't so bad this is you know this is quite not easy but it's uh it's comfortable so i think 2014 wanaka was that perfect race where it just didn't really hurt or anything um but it took a long time i'd say to get that next best performance and i think that was probably at um challenge gerardsbergen in, in 2018 which was actually i'd say my last good race um because about a week two weeks after that i had my last surgery and since then things just haven't been great but um that challenge gerardsbergen race there was the likes of joe skipper there and peter heimerich and um i didn't beat peter but i managed to get second and have the fastest run of the day so trajectory wise if i look back to that race and just how i sort of executed it and managed and for me having the fastest run of the day was quite a big thing against mm. those guys so that was probably i you know looking back is one of my best races for sure how did you develop yourself in your training you know like to come from a swimming background you, you i can imagine you ran a lot and swam a lot before you got out of, when you were swimming um then you did short course then you did ironman so what happened with your training and the evolution of your career um, so the first coach I had was Scott Molina. Oh, he would have beat you up. <laughs> <laughs> so he told me to run every day. Yeah. Um, he was a bit worried about me coming from a swimming background. He said, run every day. But I think that's where I've been really lucky as well. In in the early days, I was quite resilient. I didn't really get mm. injured. I could run every day and be, be fine. Um, so that just helped me sort of, I guess, yeah, build up that tolerance. Um, I was still a pretty useless trainer early on um it came from my swimming background as well i wasn't very dedicated why um um oh, just immature i think i was probably doing too many th things so i was trying to train do university um life yeah i owned a little business yeah. i was also there was a, something else i was trying to do I was probably also girls. coaching, pardon me? Probably girls. Yeah, going out. Yeah. <laughs> I was coaching at Aquagym as well. I was probably doing four or five things, and so training just suffered. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until I'd say um, probably later in my German career when I started training with the, the high-performance guys, um, when Triathlon New Zealand would be based in Europe, that I saw how important consistency was, and that started to drive it into me. Um, but it really wasn't until... I trained for that Wanaka that I really just knuckled down and didn't miss a session. Okay. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I think yeah. in hindsight, I wish there were some sessions I missed, but um, that was when that all sort of kicked off. Um, the other thing I was going to ask you about is you, you, you had some amazing races where you'd beat world-class athletes, Wanaka, Taiwan, wherever it was, but they often tended to be smaller races where you could kind of just do your own thing compared to, say, at a Frankfurt when, you know, if you performed like you did at Wanaka in Frankfurt, you'd probably do all right. But why do you think that was for you where sm smaller quality fields you seemed to perform versus stacked fields you sometimes didn't perform quite as well? Yeah, I kind of had this plan early on that I wanted to go and set myself up, make some money, make sure I was kind of financially stable a little bit. Um, and challenge races always supported me as well, so that was the they easy. Good there, don't they? Yeah, that was the easy target to go and do and learn the trade a little bit. And then the plan was, after a few few years, I'd start focusing on Kona and start doing those those bigger races and and trying to line up Ironman New Zealand every year as well. Um, so 2015, I made Kona. Um, 
went there completely bombed out just overtrained, exhausted before i even got there i think um which seems to be quite a <laughs> common issue um did you love kona the first year uh no <laughs> no no, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, well, but you turn up it's the dream you know like you yeah. Know, like yeah i mean it's, it's it's a great race it's a cool place um and it was actually it was a really hot year i think they said it was the hottest year in 10 years and i didn't see a cloud all day and so it just made a, a day that was already going to be hard harder yeah. and uh but back in the day I, I used to finish every race i did so i just walked i think i walked probably 10k of the marathon and got to the finish um can't remember where i was going now kona oh kona. kona so uh oh, we're racing big, bigger, bigger races yeah. and then 2016 came challenge wanaka and i had my uh, i tore my labrum in in the wanaka race so i could take you to the exact point in the in the run where i'm pretty sure it went um and that was kind of for me the start of uh just a few issues that i especially in the long court and like full distance i mean that i just haven't been able to overcome so my plans to start racing those bigger events and try and be competitive with them kind of got scuttled a little bit and uh yeah here I, here i am today i haven't really been able to get on top of it um just mentioning kona and i could be wrong here it was was it, there was one year when you and fredino were going head to head on the swim at the end was that right and you were coming in by the pier for the win for, no for the first out of the yeah, water yeah. Yeah. and uh, what was going on there because if people haven't seen that coverage before <laughs> yeah, they were going no, head to head it looked like a hundred meter race and i don't know who was wanting to back nobody seemed to want to back down yeah um so i've only done kona once and that was the 2015 um so i led i think i led all the way out to the turn around the yacht or whatever's out there and uh then yarn sort of came up next to me and we we swam side by side which was a little bit frustrating yeah. but um i mean i knew at the time that he wanted to win the race and he wanted to lead start to finish but i also <laughs> knew that i had bills to pay and i was pretty i'd felt pretty exhausted before the race so i was like if i'm going to make money i need to make, make some money in the swim yeah, yeah. um so we got, came to a baby <laughs> i don't know 50 100 meters to go and we started sprinting and he actually had the inside line to the pier so i thought he was going to roll me but yeah. uh I knew from surf life saving I had to be first to my feet and just bolt out. So that was that was what I did, and I was uh, yeah lucky to get up those stairs first. And oh, you um, did. I couldn't remember if it was you or not. Yeah, yeah. And so, like, without naming numbers, is it, is it that worth it to, to win the swim? Like, is winning the swim because obviously the wetsuit companies and yeah, winning the swim is financially a really big thing. Um, for some some people, some like my my leading of the swim bonus is probably less than someone else because i've got more chance to do it yeah but um i also know that yarns you know um swim bonus was probably four or five times what yeah. mine was yeah um but it was still a good amount of money that you can get up first i considered that yeah <laughs> um and have you got you got to tell a couple of stories because Dylan's retired now. Uh, yeah, recently. shit on some people. And no, no, but he came and talked to it at our tri club awards some the other night and told I can't remember who it was you were talking about now, but you were running behind somebody in a race. Maybe just tell that story and any others that um, sort of spring to mind. Yeah, so I've had this little thing of um, people going to the toilet around me on, in races. <laughs> I remember the first one was uh, in an ITU race in Kitzbühel. I ended up having this about one kilometre long sprint finish with this, I think, this European guy who had 
shed his pants basically oh really and uh he keeps sprinting in front of me and i was like there's no way way i'm running behind this guy so i'd sprint back around and then um same thing he'd sprint past me and i was like i can't you know like i cannot literally cannot run either stop or i have to beat this guy so um it is pretty good motivation but isn't it (laughs) yeah and then uh happened again in um, galway challenge galway back in 2016 i think um got off the bike with joe skipper and we're running together and uh, I think we we're running for second or third, and then suddenly Joe just disappeared within a couple k of the run starting. And I thought, oh, sweet, second place, this is going to be good. Um, and then I heard him come back up to me, and I was like, "You're right, mate." He's, he said, "Yeah, I just had a little bathroom incident." And then I could, then I smelt it, <laughs> and it was a windy day, and um, so the whole run, I'm well, probably to about the 15, 16 came up. I'm literally trying to position myself. Away. on the right side of the wind so i can't smell and i probably had to run in the wind more often because he's he's covering the shit and uh <laughs> the stunk and then also um i had an incident at ironman new zealand guy crawford he he won't mind me yeah, yeah guy, he's a good character he um i think he peed on the bike about three or four times and about three times i happened to be behind him oh, shit. so just uh if that's not a reason to retire, I don't know what is. What's the best part of being a pro outside of racing? Um, you know, it's funny because this year is the first year I haven't been able to travel or go overseas. And uh, I think just the traveling and being overseas in some really cool places is uh, is pretty awesome. Um, the last few years I've spent a couple, been to Girona a couple of times and I really wish I'd um, found that place a bit earlier. Mm-hmm. It's just a good lifestyle. Uh, training's great. It's relatively cheap um so yeah just being able to knuckle down and uh and spend some time in some cool places is is pretty great what's the hardest thing about retiring probably that yeah. not being able to do that um but i still want to race and i still uh i've always just enjoyed making money from it's great but i've actually just enjoyed being able to do that so i can still probably do that to a certain extent and so pretty happy there um, just a couple of random ones before we get. We're going to talk about the professional triathletes organisation in a moment. Um, just nutrition questions. What do you What do you have uh, race morning breakfast? Um, so early on, I was just a couple of eggs on toast, mm-hmm. coffee, and then before the race, I'd have a, a bottle of um, of energy drink and maybe a, a bar if I could stomach it. Um, but nothing, no rocket science there. Um, so. Yeah, that's pretty much what I've had my entire career. And then sort of during the ride, like in an iron distance race? Um, I would actually say that if I couldn't get eggs on toast, I'd have pizza, leftover pizza. Oh, if I could nice. have... Cold pizza the next day or, or reheated <laughs> yeah, yeah. pizza? So yeah. Taiwan, there was an American guy who had a pizza joint just by where, we, where the athletes used to stay. So I'd get some pizza and put it in the fridge and have that for in the race morning. Um, the worst thing about that was I did that in Malaysia and there was no fridge in our oh. in our hotel so i ended up <laughs> having warm old pizza so that wasn't great um but on the bike um gels usually in a bottle just sip away on them uh, might have a bar or two at the most and then when since cliff have, have been sponsoring me um have some blocks as well just just aim for the the goal which is usually around i think 300 or 350 grams for the yeah. ride um and normally we often ask people the, the question about technology pros and they go nah just sort of race to 
race to the conditions and because you're often in a drafting situation not drafting but you know legal yeah. pace line mm-hmm. um, but a little bit different for you because a lot of the time you were solo TTing it um, so did you use technology or did you just kind of go by feel um, early on it was just feel and then I sort of moved towards technology and then last year I actually moved away from it again um, in hindsight I'm much more a feel guy than a, a data guy um, like Ironman Wales, for example, last year, I I think I just had time on my screen and just rode, and it was probably the best ride I've had in a long time. I just sort of did my own thing. Didn't and, complicate it. Yeah, it didn't complicate it. And, uh, yeah. What's it, what, is it frustrating? Because obviously it's body that's limited your career at this moment. Uh, is that frustrating? What's that like? Or is it in some ways is it a good thing, or is it just frustrating as hell? Um, it's it's frustrating as hell, mainly because, you know. Like how old are you, Dylan? 35. Okay, so you still, have, you still had a few years in you, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, like I said, that, that last race I had before that last surgery was, in hindsight, one of the best races I've ever had. Mm. And so if I'd known that and thought about that, maybe. But at the time, I I didn't want to be 99%. I wanted to be 100%. So oh. if the surgery could help. Oh, so the surgery wasn't like guaranteed you needed it. It was like you could get better if you got... Okay. Yep, yep. Uh. So I just... I just threw everything at it and said, yep, let's do it. It was probably more like I could be 95%, which was fine. Um, And I probably could have done some things like changed my bike setup or or similar to maybe, because it was um, blood flow through my my hip um, or groin kind of area. So uh, I probably could have opened the hips up a bit more and maybe changed things to try and and get better blood blood flow. But at the time I just said, no, I want to be the absolute best I can be or... Not at all, and so. Uh, and why, is, did, why didn't it work? Um, see, I'm not sure if it if it did or didn't because I've now got. So I feel like there's other issues, maybe lower back on that same side, okay. probably from imbalances and things yep. like that, and uh, it just it's kind of seemed to spiral a little bit. Um, yeah. So you're involved in the PTO now, and you have been for quite some time, and you will have actually probably seen the organisation morph a little bit in the recent times since, since the big injection of cash from the, the guy that's doing the investment. So maybe just talk us through how things, have, your, your role um, previously, and how things have kind of changed, I guess, over the last, say, 12 to 24 months. Yeah, so um, Bahrain, 2014, mm-hmm. uh, Challenge Bahrain, I think it was the first time they had the race there. We All the athletes decided to get together and try and figure out how to you know improve our part in the sport but also just improve the sport in general so good group of athletes got together there um, early 2015 we formed the PTU back then professional triathletes union um, and we kind of had some you know stop starts kind of through 2015 2016 um, we did sort of try and hire a staff, a staffer as such, a guy called Rich Allen, to try and sort of drive things, but we just didn't have the funding to really mm. make anything happen. Um, come 2016, kind of a long story there, um, we found a guy called Charles Adamo, who's our current chairman, um, and he was quite amazed at the how little money the, the pro athletes um, earned, so he... He's just a really generous guy. He's been successful in his own right, and I think it sounded like he wanted to uh, get the bit between the teeth and try and uh, see what he could do for for professional triathletes. So, come he came up with sort of the business model and the business 
business plan, um, which is based around the Collins Cup. Um, and uh, yeah, he went out and tried to find some investment, and it took, I guess, it took three years to find uh, Mike Moritz, um, who's our current investor. So who is Mike Moritz? Tell us a bit about him, because obviously he's got some money. Yep. So he's um, his company's Sequoia Capital. Uh, he I've actually he, heard of Sequoia Capital. He likes to ride his bike. Uh, he lives in San Fran, likes to ride his bike, and uh, I think he's done the odd triathlon. I think he's kind of involved a little bit with Purple Patch guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so he actually knows some of the athletes like Meredith and Meredith Kessler and Laura Sadell and stuff. And, uh, yeah, when Charles sort of went and um, did the pitch, he, he sort of bought into it. And, he, and he's seen that, you know, other sports are doing similar and are trying to just um, raise the, the profiles of the athletes. And so um, I've actually been on the board I guess since 2015 um, and it started off with about 15 or 16 of us and kind of withered away over the years and ended up last year there was uh, I think there was about six of us um, come investment and uh, yeah so we just kind of kicked on from there and then considering the fact I was retiring um, and we realised pretty quickly we needed someone to be that kind of middleman or that point person then um, I just put my hand up and said hey I'd love to love to keep helping out if I can so here I am. So we've been discussing over the last few weeks you know we're seeing these injections of cash into different races you know 15 grand here 40 grand here etc and we're sort of sitting there thinking this is great for the athletes you know you're looking after them when there's very little income coming in but we're sort of going what's what's the sort of the point of this you know um you're propping it up but if if this guy mike just drops off then what happens so i guess what we're asking is what's sort of the the end game for pto in terms of how you're going to be sustainable um going forward yeah so i guess the bottom line is we're worried there'd be no athletes left if there was no racing um and from mike's perspective this is a long-term investment um you know, like ten to fifteen years, he's he's kind of willing to be involved. Now, when you I say think. investment, is he expecting to get a return out of it, or is it more just like what is it like charity? Um, no. So the business model is the athletes own fifty percent, and his investment okay um, business Crankstar owns fifty okay. percent of the commercial entity, um, and so with these races specifically. Uh, we just figured that something has to be done. We have to try and get back to the grassroots and support the grassroots and then support the athletes from doing that. Um, and, yeah, I can't remember where I was going to go with that. But uh, so, Yeah, the long-term plan. Like, if, yeah, if so, we're thinking, is it... Yeah, is, what is this, like, 10 years from now? You're sort of banking on Collins Cup being the, being the sort of the, the cash cow that feeds the organisation? Yeah, or so, is it going to be a series or... Yeah, for, for, for us, I guess the, <laughs> yeah. this money was, um, you know, athletes don't really have profiles in our sport. Yeah. You know, if you look at Ironman website, you can't really find anything about mm. the professionals. So we sort of saw this as an opportunity to get, give the athletes a bit of a life, lifeline, but also invest them a little bit. So when we give prize money to an event, we also support some media so mm. that uh, they can get some photos of the athletes so we can start getting that kind of database there and... And yeah, just sort of invest in the athletes and show them that they are important. And it's been great actually in, in driving a little bit more demand and um, interest from the athletes. And then long term, yeah, uh, we've got the Collins Cup. So that will be our sort of, how would you call it? 
flagship type the event. flagship event mm. um and then the plan is to have maybe three four five other major events each year so mm. for example daytona or december's going ahead that will be our first major event mm. um but we will look to do three or four others mm. like that um around the world and uh probably based them regionally as well so there'll be one sort of in each region um and yeah just obviously really focus on at the moment there's there must be millions of triathletes in the world but even if we just got them to watch a triathlon it would be a massive step up you know Kona's maybe exciting for a couple hundred thousand people a year Mm -hmm. uh, but not really that exciting so we really want to build the profiles of the athletes within the sport um and obviously just make some good interesting coverage with good commentators and good data and and interesting racing formats like the Collins Cup um with with um pros you, you before we put the mic on you said they become members so what's the process if a pro wants to become a member and what level do they have to be uh they just have to prove a professional license okay um so anywhere around the world so it can, it can even be just an Ironman pro license yeah. um and then they just sign a membership agreement which is a you know, it's just a two-way thing. We'll look after you, you look after us, and, yeah. mm. and so on. I've seen a few of the athletes now starting to have PTO on their race suits. Is that a requirement or just something that you're encouraging people to do to, to get a bit more exposure? Yeah, so that is part of the athlete agreement. Um, for this year, it's it's optional. Um, not everyone can just go and get a race yeah. suit printed whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in future, that's a requirement. Um, and... Everyone seems to be more than happy to do it, especially the, the guys and girls in the in the top 100 who have been have been yeah. paid money this year. Um, and then all the other athletes recognise that, you know, good things take time, and and we we do want to expand how many athletes we can support. So, it's um, that's just all part of it. Because mm. I think the key thing is you you seem to have got that the snowball going and it's sort of rolling down the hill and when you've got people like Brownlee and Fredino they're doing it and they're doing the interviews and, and you're doing some different stuff on your, your sort of platform with the sort of more fun fun interviews than just sort of the stock standard stuff. Yeah, um, obviously, yeah, like that that building of the athlete profiles and so we launched the PT Hub, Hub to try and promote that a bit more mm-hmm. is a really important thing and uh, I guess it's just important to note that this is maybe the only chance we get mm. for a long 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 oh, time it really is because we've seen we've done this for forever yeah. and in our time we've seen people come and try to do these things and they fall over straight away mm. you know this is the first time we're going shit this actually could be something and and you see a future where it's like shit this could be really exciting especially because the pros have been kind of shed on by Ironman mm-hmm. and really become the lesser citizen um so it's good to see them take, taking some ownership of the sport again do you, do you have anything to do, obviously with Challenge, you, you've got a really strong relationship, do you have anything to do with Ironman or are they just pretty much got a shut door policy? Um, yeah, I guess it's pretty much shut door. We, we have like communication obviously open with them but um, you know, the thing is when Ironman are going well, the sport's going well so we want mm. them to do well yeah. so we, we try and support however we can there but they've got their own their own business model which is essentially age groupers and you know that's that's fine so mm. it kind of gives us an opportunity just to focus on what we're doing and um there's yeah some, some, like you, you probably can't really comment on this but there's some interesting moments moving forward when we think about it because if the pros do come really strong under the collins cup kind of banner and whatever that evolves into then does the i because i i mean age it is an age group race but let's be honest kona's still the golden ticket 
if the pros don't turn up to Kona, what happens to their golden ticket? It's a, it's just a real interesting dynamic of what it looks like in the future. If they do, if they don't have pros at races, yeah, you know, and you know, some pros wish that um, the world champs wasn't at Kona every year, but yeah, at the same time, other athletes love Kona, and to be honest, I I kind of like the nostalgicness of Kona. Um, I think it's always going to have its place and always should. Um, it's it's been a big part of building the sport, but then. The professionals have also been a massive part in building the sport and they, they do kind of get chat on, I guess. Um, and so we're just trying to elevate the professionals to the same level that almost Kona is in the sport because if you ask anyone, they they kind of know Ironman Hawaii, you know. Yeah. So um, it'd be cool if if people in the general public knew of the best professional triathletes as well. Yeah, for sure. So if people want to support what you guys are doing, um, I guess just going to the you've got a new website yeah, that what, came what out. Do want, last what do you week? want from Joe, Joe Public? <laughs> yeah. Like obviously, you know, like John's saying support, but it's not like you want money from. Well, you know, I'm not quite sure. What, what do you want from? Um, just us? follow, just follow the the social media, the websites. Have a look at the new website. We've got um, all the new athlete profiles have been launched. So they've all got a sort of written bio and some some info on them on on the website. So they're quite cool. Um, and then when we have an event, if they really can and really want to, they can tune in and watch the event. And that's, uh, you know, TV is where um, all the money is. Yeah. So uh, we've got to, but at the same time, it's on us to make sure that people want to watch it. So it needs to be exciting and entertaining. And uh, I, I don't recall. What's the what's the format for Daytona? Is it pretty much a traditional race? or a- Just traditional, all within the Daytona Speedway. Yeah. Um, and it's actually looking good. We've sent out the sort of the invites to the athletes, and uh, it's amazing how many people are saying yes. We want to get there, so it's now up to um, the PTO and Daytona team to make it try work. and make it work and, and get those athletes there because there's there's still travel restrictions and stuff like that. So um, mm-hmm. we'll be working hard for the next two months to make that happen. Yeah. So just finally, anything else on your career that maybe you've always wanted to get off your chest that have <laughs> yeah. people haven't asked you about before? Um, not really. Here's, here's, one, here's one I always love to ask: uh, How would you like to be remembered as an athlete? Oh wow! Yeah, um, see, <laughs> <laughs> oh, just remembered. If people, yeah, you know, yeah, nice. <laughs> yeah. I don't care how they remember me. If they remember that I was once an athlete, when they they see me next, then I guess your your job's done in a way. So, uh, and um, if I still look like an athlete when they see me, that that would <laughs> yeah. be a bonus. <laughs> And do you have any plans for, for racing? Like, are you thinking coast to coast or something like that? Or have you got any, in terms of just going, something to do? Um, I'm mountain biking more now. So my new races at the moment, are just finding little missions to do. So we're actually going over to the new Paparoa track oh, um, yeah. on first weekend of October. So next weekend. Um, but it's funny you should ask that. I do want to go back to Kona to beat my younger brother's time. Oh, because, nice. uh, Which is pretty handy, isn't it? Well, yeah. I know his qualifying time is really good. I don't know what he did over there. He went 8.53. Oh, it was that really fast year. Fast year. So oh, that was, yeah. Everyone, everyone yeah. got PBs that year, didn't yeah. they? Tailwind the whole bike and yeah. tailwind the whole run, pretty Still much. Still 8.53. Yeah, they're smoking it. <laughs> yeah, can't so. just... And where did he get in his age group for that? Uh, I think he was maybe top 10. Yeah. But that's the thing. That's He's, he would have been 30 to 34, so just the... Yeah. Um, it just shows you, I mean, how many pros go under nine hours yeah, on yeah. a normal year and then yeah. let alone, it was, was it 50-odd athletes or something under yeah. age group athletes maybe? So, yeah, that's the goal. Go back to Kona one day. Yeah. Um, you, 
Yeah, I've got a few issues to sort through with my, <laughs> with my body, but once my body's fixed, I'll be um, I'll be back there. Awesome. Thanks for your time, Don. Thanks, guys. Yeah, awesome, mate. You rock. John, your thoughts? It was great. I was really pleased. A, a, I wanted to highlight Dylan's fantastic career, but also gave us some insight into to the PTO and sort of long-term game plan. So it's great to hear that their investor is viewing this as a big long-term project and um, yeah, they've got a bit of a plan with regards to these events. Obviously a lot of it's going to be contingent on, as Dylan said, getting TV coverage and, and generating some income that way, but they do seem to be adaptive onto it. If you follow any of their content, it really is very good and as he said, it's about getting profile for the athletes so you get to know the athletes um, rather than just seeing you know, results uh, here and there. So yeah, really good. Okay, John, let's talk about sponsor. What bike? More what bike? Sp- yeah, more specifically the what bike atom. Okay, what bike is www.wattbike.com slash US is where we want you to go. But we actually want you to go to our website and click on the link on the show notes for our website. But John, tell us about what bike atom. Yeah, so um, they've got, I'll get, we're going to do a bit of a high five. We're actually six points. So first up, um, it's got that real ride feel technology. So it feels like you're riding on the road thanks to the Watt Bike Atom's unique set of chains and sprockets. So it's a bit different to obviously just riding on your regular bike on a trainer. It's got ERG mode as well. So if you don't know, if you haven't ridden on a smart trainer before, ERG mode um, allows you to do workouts where it's going to force you to ride a particular power so say you want to do five by ten minutes at 85 percent it'll lock that in and you've just got to turn the pedals and make it happen oh so it just naturally will progress through the different stages of the workout yeah and so you've got two ways you can ride workouts you can either just ride courses so you can get onto Zwift or whatever and then you're sort of changing your gears and going up and down or you can do erg mode workouts Uh, it's precise and reliable plus or minus two percent accuracy across the full power curve so that's awesome you know you're getting an accurate workout and they've also got this cool thing and and i remember um adam bowden who we talked to or bowden we talked to a couple of weeks ago they've got the polar uh, the polar view and pedal efficiency score um and it's a little measurement that analyzes your pedal stroke in real time and helps you to sort of smooth that out and uh, change those small inefficiencies into big gains on the road um, then you've got access to the Watt Bike Hub which is their sort of training suite with climbs endurance workouts sprint workouts so if you don't want to go on one of those other platforms and be paying for that Watt Bike's got everything you need uh, in there to sort that out and <coughs> last but not least number six because it's always good to have a high five with number six they've got an award-winning design and when if you go to check out the website, go via imtalk.me and you'll see it is a funky piece of uh, machinery. It's really cool. It's yeah. really cool. And Do you know what? I, I, okay, here's a funny story, John. On uh, I don't have I don't have an indoor trainer. Yeah. And I don't have all this set up for. So Saturday, I've, and I've got a bit of a calf injury right now. So normally, what I do is I do lots of classes at the gym, and then I, I, I try to do two runs a week and a bit of a core workout outside of my gym workouts and on Saturday I had a big day massive day at work and it was like 4 o'clock and I wanted to do an, like an hour's exercise mm-hmm. so I was like oh, I can't run I don't normally run up and down Harry I thought oh, I'll jump on the bike and I live on a hill so it's quite convenient and I thought I'd just do a hill repeats for an hour well, i tell you what what a waste of an hour that was <laughs> you know what I mean and and it was it was one of those times I was like I would love to have a Watt bike right now because mm. I guarantee if I jumped on a Watt bike and you know, Teach put some yourself. kind of work in. Mm. You know, I'd absolutely blitz it. Mm. Whereas go, going up on the on that hill, you know, and, and and I knew, you know, 
I just didn't have motivation. Mm. And it was partly because it was the end of a long day. I was lacking motivation. And it was one of those times where you get outdoor and do something because I just been behind the computer day. I just want some, you know. But mm. at the same time, I want to, I want, to, want the satisfaction of the workout. You've got a nice big empty garage to put a watt by. Into yeah, I'll well. tell you what. And, and, you know, like it is one of those tools, which is for, for me, who's not really a cyclist nowadays. I have got a cycle. Mm. Um, but I'm not a big cyclist like I used to be. But something like this would just be a great tool. be good for Joe as well. You could share it. Yeah, that's the thing. It's oh, a great want, tool. Belinda wants one. She's going, get my watt bike, John. Yeah. Oh, okay, I'll try. I'll try. Yeah. Um, and one other thing, just a little thing But it's me. also just like, because like, I use teach group fit spin classes, and I love them, and I do love spin classes, so I'm not going to shit on those. But at home, like I was saying in my class the other day, um, in the lockdown, I did pump at home by myself, mm-hmm. and I'd use the same kind of weights I use when I normally teach, but you just don't work as hard, mm-hmm. because at home, just on a bike by yourself, it's not the same, but with the tools now, mm. you know, you can really blitz yourself with, this is such a great tool. Yes, so, um, and the other, just the, one other little thing that would make my life easier with a watt bike is you just don't have the mess, like, uh, especially if you've got, um, you, you probably haven't even seen, when, when with a lot of the TT bikes now, the rear wheel comes out the back yep. rather than drops down, Yeah, and it, so it's a pain in the ass getting your finger around the chain and getting it on there, and you get shit everywhere, your bike gets worn down with all the sweat and stuff that you're doing uh, on there, and yeah, I, I would love to have one in my garage, and they look funky, it's nice and clean, you can have it adaptable between different family members. Now, one thing we haven't talked about and is that you can buy it outright. But yep. in a lot of places in the world, you can even just hire it as well. Exactly. You know, so, you know, it's a great tool. So check out what wattbike.com slash US. But what we really are saying is go to our website, either click on the link on the front page or the one in this week's show notes, and it just helps them see that you're coming from us. <laughs> Bevan's dying on us. Oh, he's got a calf injury and he's... Hey, hay fever season's hitting me, John. Yeah. So, so what bike? Check it out. Good way to support the show as well. If you want to get a what bike, and there's plenty of good reasons. It's good for the whole family and so on. John Wanger of the week. I'm okay. gonna, I don't know why I'm going for 22, but for some reason okay. I'm going 22. I'm, le- I'm letting you have it. Steve Bellington. Oh, Steve. Oh, sorry, Steve. I'm going to retract that. You, oh, why? You, you, you're currently sitting... Okay, we'll do Steve. He's currently sitting in 22nd for this week. I was like... Oh, you went the wrong he's week. He's only done two hours 57 of training. That's not much for a week. So we're going to try to look at his last week, are yeah, we? Steve Bung, we'll see if we can do that. Anyway, Steve, you're going to be our wearing of the week. Uh, he's from London in the United Kingdom, but he's got pictures of him riding... Uh, must be somewhere down in Lanzarote or something like that. Uh, and what has he done in the last little period? Uh, he did have a good week last week. Steve's been training very well since COVID has struck. Uh, so looking at his last year, a few blank periods there, sort of through October. Lost his mojo. December was okay. Start of January was a bit rubbishy. COVID kicks off, I guess, in January, February period. And he's had a couple of down periods in March. But since then, he's been cranking it out, doing around about... Uh, yeah. Yeah. Good amount of training every week, periodizing it fairly well, having the odd easier week here or there. Um, yeah, he's been beasting, hasn't he? He has. And the biggest climb that he's done is 243.7 kilometers, with the biggest climb being 2,157 meters. Just clicking on that to see where he went and did. So it can't have been in London. Uh, that's where Steve's from. Let's see. Tell you what, if you look at his run estimates, 
I actually think he's a pretty good runner, but his half marathon's a disappointment. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because, sorry, Steve, but he's ran a, a, one, a, a 3.18 1K. He's ran a 6.06 mile. He's ran a 13.59 5K. A 29.13 10K. What would you reckon his half marathon would be? I wasn't listening, sorry. You take it. Okay, so he's in a 3.1K, a 6-minute mile, 14-minute 5K, a, a sub-30-minute 10K. What do you reckon half marathon? He's, he's, he's worn his accidentally... Is but but well I don't know because it's consistent across. Okay, those times are all pretty relative. Yeah. So what do you reckon his half marathon time is going to be? Fourteen something for five k. Thirteen fifty nine. That can't be true. And then a twenty nine thirteen for a ten. So then you'd extrapolate out. Like, I don't know one oh five or one one forty three. Right. <laughs> so either you've got it right, Steve. Yeah. Let us know. John's got it right that the Strava's wrong and your half marathon's more realistic. Yeah. Or. You're a beast who's got like average half marathon time. And the, the big ride that um, Steve did, it looks like it might have been the Marmotte, which is the big sort of Tour de France stage. It was in France. I'm just trying to see which coals they went over. Col de Quai de Fur, um, which is one of the, the biggies. And let's see, uh, Col de Glandon. And I wonder if they went up Alpe d'Huez. I think they probably did at the end. Let me have a look. Uh, the Telegraph, so you go over the Telegraph and the Galibier. Maybe they finished at the top of the Galibier. Yes. That's a big day, Steve. That's well a big, done. Steve, great runner. Get your half marathon shorted out, mate. Yeah. Okay, and John. did do Alpe d'Huez at the end. His time up Alpe d'Huez was one hour and 18 minutes, 29 seconds. But that's after 160 kilometres of riding before that. The, 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 the good pass mark on Alpe d'Huez is if you can go under an hour, that's a pretty What have solid I done that? You and your when you're yeah yeah I've done it so you would be sweet yeah because I smashed it up there I yeah. had a really good ride up there mm. it was the day I got a flat tire on the first hill no you didn't do it no you didn't do it up to his which one did I do the coal no uh, you did the, probably the, the, the one the with the bike at the top the tourmalay yeah tourmalay no tourmalay is a lot longer than an hour oh yeah I think, you I, would go, I, think I did it under an hour yeah I think you did <laughs> uh, but you would go under an hour for up to his if you were in good shape well, Steve Billington you are uh, winner of the week I get John's oh I'm waiting. <laughs> Questions and answers, but it starts with John Swimset, or is John Swimset? Yeah, what did we do this morning? Uh, we did three, 300 metres warm-up, three times 100 individual medley, just to get the shoulders moving in different directions, nine times 100 on the 1 minute 35, descend 1 to 3, 4 to 6, 7 to 9, so that's varying the pace. Then we did 100 metres easy, 3 by 200, descend 1 to 3, so again, getting quicker. I think we did those on the 310. Another 100 metres easy. Then we did a 400 meter time trial. Oh, how'd you go? Wait a second. 400 meter time trial for John Newsom. I'm going to say. I'm not in great shape, but yeah, carry on. I'm going to say it's in the, the first numbers of four. No, shit, no. Oh, really? No, man, I have not been in the fours for a long oh, okay. time. Okay, first numbers in a five? Yeah, well done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say five. Shit, if you're not in the fours, I'm going to say 523. It's funny you should say that. It's because I thought it was 5.23 and I haven't double-checked it because I've got the goggles, which I do oh, quite yeah. like. And I think it was 5.25. Uh, and I was sort of going, I'm really tired. I was pretty tired and sore this morning. Yep. And I thought, Excuses. if I can do 5.20, I'll be okay with that. Yep. 5.15 is probably punching above my weight. Yep. And 5.25, probably acceptable, but still a bit shit. And I think it, had five, it was either 5.23 or 5.25. We'll give you 5.23. But the thing was, so you're mid shit and acceptable. Yeah, but um, 
the funny thing with, with the goggles, they're good and bad. I was thinking, I'm going to see my split times here every 100. These are the form goggles? The form goggles. And this is either going to be good or bad. Oh. And so, so I went through the first 100 and like 117, I'm thinking, shit, I'm on here. This is all good. Yeah. Went through 200, <laughs> then gone, this is not going quite so well. <laughs> 300, oh shit, hang on for dear life. <laughs> uh, luckily, I could see Tyrone wasn't catching me from behind. I was like, ah. And so 525 is what it was. Oh, absolute gold. And then we did a 200 meters warm down. I think it was 3.2 or 3.3. And Terry, I know Terry's loving Terry. The yep. Dude, a little secret is... Uh, oh, if you put his email somewhere, we're no, talking about race. Next, next time. Okay, uh, and that was today's swim set. Okay, John, let's talk about patrons. Ben Popeye Moore. We've got Peter the Bionic Man Mills. And James the tr- the Trawler Slave. If you want to become a patron, go to www.iamtalk.me. It's pretty obvious. Go through to the where it says patrons. You can support the show. You get a cool nickname. You're going to draw for a cool prize. And more importantly, just support us doing what we are doing. And to those people who are patrons, we appreciate that you put some of your hard-earned money our way. So thank you so much. Uh, sponsor, John. What Bike. What Bike is the most realistic and effective smart trainer on earth actually in the universe that's right uh, if you want to get show emailed to you go to www.imtalk.me one of the front page coaching coachjohnnewson.com my podcast I released one yesterday the bevanjamesoshow.com other cool content such as age group of the week cool websites and other feedback email us at imtalkpodcast at gmail.com John your goss I'm going on holiday you've had your oh. holiday I'm going on holiday so we're doing a double show today so going up to Kiteri how long are you going for going for a week it's going to oh, be good times nice kitties have got their big, finally got a little running race this weekend that they did all their fundraising for then it got cancelled because of bloody COVID yeah. but they've got a, a sort of second secondary race they're going to go and do uh, when, do, when do, do do your kids bring friends to where Kiteri no no we're not no it's <laughs> never happening that. that's not happening <laughs> <laughs> You're quite sharp on yeah. that. No. It was like, no. <laughs> no. Um, Dad, can I bring Jeffrey? No. And I, had, I sort of didn't put my foot down this morning a little bit. They had Muffy Day at school day, and it was go as your sports star, favourite sports star. Yeah, but Tom was more than one suit. Tom was wearing a tricer. Oh. <laughs> I don't know about that, Tom. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you've got to save your kid there, mate. <laughs> and Felicity said, uh, he had a sweatshirt on over top. She said, you are not taking that sweatshirt off at school. You're not doing it. <laughs> And then Tom did renege and he went and put a pair of running shorts on instead. So yeah, that was okay. Yeah. Because how old's Tom? He is uh, 13. Yeah. yeah. Wouldn't Why, get that's it. good parenting, John. You wouldn't want to get excited parenting. at school and the trice. <laughs> no, you couldn't. Yeah. Sometimes you think something's really cool and it turns out maybe it's not so cool. Mm. Well, it's cool to your little world. And triathlon is cool to Tom's world and to yeah. our world. But for a 13-year-old to turn up to try you would... Yeah, yeah, that was a smart move. There was so going on holiday. Uh, did a big, biggest bike ride in a long time last weekend. Rode to Akaro and back, which um, was was tough work. I was going okay there for a good. Uh, How many weeks four, is it to your Epic Camp? For, uh, four weeks to, or oh, it's a month tomorrow. Okay, and I said to the guys, "We'll ride out of this, just fairly cruisy." So the ride is more or less sixty k flat. And then you've got Pretty 60k road, flat right? at the middle, 60k flat at the end, and then you've got in between that it's just hill, 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 hill right through the middle. So that really takes a toll. I said on the way back, we want to try to see if we can ride about Ironman pace, so a reasonable sort of tempo. And uh, and I set the pace to start with, managed about 20 minutes or so. 
you know, did the old elbow through, wave through, <laughs> thinking, righty ho, it's hang on till we get home time. <laughs> and uh, and hang on I did, but only by a thread. Oh, jeez. That was my Sunday, and then went out for dinner that night. Oh, well, where'd you go? We went to Fiddlesticks. It was great. Thanks, Where's Tracy. Fiddlesticks? Bar. Fiddlesticks is... Tracy, babe. Is there on top? Hey, Tracy. Yeah, uh, it is on one of the one-way streets. By the, across from the arts centre. What kind of food? We go there and we just go for the bar food. And this isn't a shitty place. This is a nice restaurant. And they do this amazing sort of tapas stuff. And mm. we just went hard. It was great. Mm, sounds, sounds Didn't disappoint. Way. Bevan, what's happening for you? Well, John, it's a big week in my life. This is a week I'll remember for the rest of my life. Okay. You know, you know, you have those weeks, eh? Yeah. We got to COVID level one. So, yeah. Well, it wasn't actually that. Okay. No. What is it? You go. You get to watch the um, leaders debate. You seemed excited. Well, about I love. That I love a debate. I do yeah. love a debate. I, and I try to be. I try to sit back because I'm. I've definitely had my leanings as we all do, but I try to sit back and just watch how they debate. Mm-hmm. So not to try to get emotionally caught up in the debate. Just watching their strategies and their, and their techniques. Such an interesting skill to have. Mm-hmm. Debate skills and it's. I find it really fascinating because it has such a big influence on election. Does it? Yeah. For you, for you, and for the, and the for the mid voter, for you and I, we, we tend to know who you're going to vote for. Yeah. But for most, it, 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 for for what it is, it has an influence. Okay. Like it's an hour of people just talking. Mm. You know, and it's like, does it really I make that much the difference? Joe blogs half the time. It's just name. But are you going to watch the American debates? Sorry. Are you going to watch the American oh, debates? Zero interest. <laughs> zero interest. Zero like. Negative five million interest. <laughs> Negative five million, <laughs> even affinity times affinity. Yeah. <laughs> no, John, it's not the debates. It's not COVID. My band's recording our album this week. Okay, good times. When are we actually going to hear some of this? Well, I imagine it'll be a while away because you record, then mm-hmm. you tweak it, then you've got to go through production, and so, and then you, you basically your master. When you get your master, mm-hmm. that's when it's good to go. Yeah. Um, and I've got this big market, so we'll record this week. Then uh, that process will be going on the sidelines, and then I'll start a marketing strategy. But pretty excited because I don't know, like you know, like I, I play music and I love playing music, and um, and music was the thing I added to my life when I pulled away from Iron Man. And um, to think that we'll have something forever that we've made together is something. So when you cool. go and try to sell something, sell your tracks, what are they? What do they? What do they sell for? Like on iTunes? Well, or nowadays it's not. It's all Spotify and stuff. Yeah. So, but I've developed a marketing strategy, which I'm not going to tell people now, but I've, yeah. I've got a strategy, which I think's quite cool. And I think could actually, like, I, I'm actually pretty proud of our songs. So for, for Spotify, for artists, do you get per play, you get yeah, paid per play? Yeah, and it's nothing, like it's bugger, yeah. basically. And if you sign with it, like a label, you, you really get nothing. Mm. Um, and labels are really screwed at, um, because nowadays, what they do is they do these contracts called the 360 contracts. So when you sign up with a label, they take, like if you do a tour, because back in the old days, what it was is that the label would make the money off the records. The artist mm. pretty much got nothing, but the artist got all the touring, the merchandise and all that stuff. Mm. So the artist would like make shitloads of this area, but in the records made, you know, but nowadays they have the 360, which means they take a cut of everything. Mm. Um, like I'm talking pretty ambitiously here for us to think that we'd be of that level, but uh, you know I am proud of our music. I do think we're we're kind of a rock band, and I think we've we've done you know ten, twelve good songs that you know if you like rock music, you'll probably hopefully you'll enjoy. Um, but yeah, my, my my I'll tell you more about the marketing strategy in the future. But um, this weekend is just about enjoying the process, you nice. know, enjoying the process, making sure I do good quality work, making a cool atmosphere with the boys. Um, but yeah, you know it's. You know, it is one of those weeks for the rest of my life. I remember recording the album and 
you know, so game on. So you guys, trust me, when it comes time for us to release it, you guys who are listening just have a job that I'll make you do. Great. Anyway, John, let's wrap it up. I'm Russ. I'm Mendo. Train hard. Train smart. Kia kaha. kaha.